Hello, and welcome to Ipsy Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Bruce Nguyen, a college student and co-founder of the Oberlin Policy Research Institute, an undergraduate public policy research organization based at Oberlin College. My guest today is William Moon, assistant professor at the University of Maryland Francis King Carey School of Law. We'll discuss his article, Delaware's New Competition, forthcoming in the Northwestern University Law Review. Welcome, Professor Moon. Thanks so much for having me, Luz. So let's go over why you got interested in this topic and what the main crux of the argument of this paper is about. Sure. So um, I got fascinated with uh, offshore jurisdictions in general um, a while back while I was still a practicing lawyer um, in New York City. So this must be maybe four or five years ago. Um, I was representing clients that were actually British Virgin Islands corporations or Cayman Island funds. And I kept wondering how this could be because, you know, any spare time I had, I would go on vacation to these Caribbean islands and I would see that there's nothing actually physically there. Uh, it was mostly sandy beaches and didn't seem like there was a big permanent workforce. Um, so I got fascinated with the issue then. So when I entered academia, I started uh, writing on offshore jurisdictions. So this is um, my third paper um, and the so central pe- central thesis for this um, project, Delaware's New Competition, um, is that there are a handful of foreign nations um, that are starting to compete to attract American publicly traded corporations. Um, and this is very much of a departure from the standard uh, literature because the whole corporate law literature for the past four decades or so have presupposed um, what uh, an interstate corporate charter competition market. So Delaware competes with other states. Depending on your viewpoint, this is you know it's either a good thing or a bad thing. Um, but no one has really discussed whether foreign nations can also compete. So um, I think I've sort of detected sort of an emergence of an international market for corporate law. So it's, this is principally a descriptive project, but I also started thinking about normative aspects of the project as well. So let's go towards the typical domain of American corporate law. How does the state-to-state competition for uh, publicly traded corporations look within the domestic United States? Sure. So um, in the United States, um, and this is fairly... Um, no one is really in disagreement on this particular point. Um, corporate law in the United States is principally a matter of state law. Uh, states compete with other states to supply corporate charters. So in the United States, corporations can opt into any state's corporate law by simply incorporating in a particular jurisdiction. So this is why Delaware, which is home to only two Fortune 500 companies is a juridical home to over two-thirds of publicly traded companies. So that's very much in agreement. Um, some dispute whether there's a robust uh, interstate competition. Some say only Nevada is really competing with Delaware. Um, but that's um, more or less uh, a conventional view. There is a vigorous disagreement as to whether this competition framework is normatively desirable. So um, back in the 70s, uh, Bill Carey advanced this race to the bottom thesis that states are adopting all these lax rules and this is socially harmful and we need to federalize corporate law. 
Uh, ever since then, people have uh, written against uh, that thesis, uh, sort of race to the top thesis is most commonly associated with Ralph Winter and Roberto Romano, who think that um, competition facilitates uh, states to supply uh desirable templates of corporate codes. So this lowers the transactional costs of creating contracts and this that this is a good thing. So that's the general um, big picture. There's been a lot of iterations and permutations on the debate, but that's the um, main charter competition debate that, that has underlied the American corporate law uh, literature. So obviously Delaware tends to dominate this competition. Uh, the c- name of your paper is Delaware's New Competition. So why does Delaware uh, dominate the American corporate charter space? Sure. So many people have written on this, and there are, are lots of explanations for this. Um, but just to give you a bit of a history, um, so New Jersey used to be the leading producer of corporate law um, in the early ni- early uh, 1900s. Um, and back then, when um, then-Governor Woodrow Wilson um, enacted a series of laws that um, corporations deemed they were hostile to their interests, Delaware sort of emerged and started producing laws that corporations wanted. And so that's the history. So they've dominated this market for about 100 years. Um, so there's uh, one a path dependency story here. So because a lot of corporations are incorporated there, uh, other corporations have followed. This is sort of the network effect. Um, and it's not just um, social um, networks, right? P- corporations actually do benefit when there's a lot of case law. You know what the law is, and that's helpful and beneficial for corporate entities. Uh, the other big story here is uh, the Delaware Court of Chancery, which is which has been called the de facto national corporate law court. Um, it's generally staffed with um, business law experts. They resolve disputes without juries, so they resolve things with um, a degree of expertise or perceived expertise, um, and they issue very well-reasoned um, opinions that are very fact-specific, um, and those are sort of the characteristics that's um, beneficial for corporate entities. Um, the other part of the story is um, a legislature that is um, essentially very much dependent uh, fiscally on franchise taxes that corporations have to pay annually. So um, any given year, Delaware probably gets around 15 to 20, maybe even 25% of their state revenue uh, from uh, out-of-state foreign corporations that are um, uh, paying money to the Delaware uh, legis- uh, Delaware uh, legislatures. So this um, sort of dependence makes it viable for them to credibly signal to corporations that they're not going to do anything crazy. Um, it also signals that they're going to be responsive to the changing business needs. Um, so those are some of the main uh, drivers that have been identified that really allows Delaware to dominate, and Delaware does still dominate uh, the market. So now with foreign incorporation centers like the British Virgin Islands, Bermuda, and the Cayman Islands, how does this kind of state-to-state competition that now includes uh, quote-unquote foreign states look like for uh, companies that are shopping for where to incorporate? Sure. So um, just to give a bit of a highlight, um, 
So um, one interesting thing that I've noticed is that um, it, people have noticed that American corporations were migrating to offshore jurisdictions. Um, this is the corporate inversion movement. Um, so tax scholars have actually detected this phenomenon for a very long time. Um, but the prevailing account really attributes this migration to uh, tax reduction reasons, right? So when we see um, uh, a company go to the Cayman Islands, people just assume that's for tax reasons. Um, some prominent academics have even written that this is unabashingly all about tax reduction and it's inducing American corporations to opt into these archaic suboptimal corporate governance rules. Um, but I actually think that these offshore jurisdictions are offering much more than just tax reduction. Although I think tax is an important reason um, that they over time have built uh, very desirable templates of corporate governance rules um, and legal systems that really enable them to compete uh, with Delaware in certain respects. Um, so uh, an important thing about these foreign um, producers of corporate law, um, one, um, I've mentioned before, but some people think that there isn't really a strong competition in the interstate context. Um, so because Delaware is dominated so much and other uh, states like New York or California, they really don't have an incentive to attract uh, foreign corporations to uh, incorporate in these jurisdictions. These large states don't really rely on uh, franchise taxes. Um, so people have written that uh, besides Delaware, and maybe with the exception of Nevada, no one is really competing. Um, and this is a little bit problematic for the race to the top theorists because competition is sort of a precondition to uh, states supplying desirable templates of corporate law. Um, one aspect of this international market uh, that might support race to the top theorists is that this uh, introduces uh, legislative um bodies that actually want to compete. So it could actually increase the robustness of uh, the charter competition market. And to the extent that we think that lowering transactional costs, uh, competition also facilitates innovation, all of those kinds of aspects, that might be a beneficial story. Um, so that's one positive aspect of what could come out of this. Um, but there are, of course, reasons to be skeptical of this. Um, one, there are... Um, Corporate law is principally just default contract law, but there are aspects of corporate law that you can't contract out of. These are called mandatory rules. Um, even in Delaware, which is a fairly enabling default rule regime, has a number of important uh, mandatory rules like shareholder uh, derivative suits, uh, shareholders' right to ask for books and records, um, there are fiduciary duty rules that you can't opt out of. And many of these offshore jurisdictions actually enable American corporations to completely opt out of these rules. So to the extent that we think that these mandatory rules are desirable, or if there are externalities associated with these uh, mandatory rules, that is that it might have negative third party effects that uh, these rules are designed to curb. That's something that we ought to think carefully about and um, a debate seriously about. Um, another aspect of that problem is, um, especially if um, Delaware's mandatory rules are attributed to latent federal government oversight. So under American federalism, if 
the federal government wanted to. They could just usurp state authority to federalize corporate law. Uh, this idea is most uh, prominently associated with Mark Rowe. Um, and so to the extent that Delaware's mandatory rules are designed to serve some sort of a social function, and maybe it's latently guided by a federal inter- a federal um oversight. Um, this might be problematic because foreign nations, unlike American states, don't really face federal government oversight. So those are some of the negative um, potentials of this. And I don't have a strong um, view on it yet. I think there needs to be more research. Um, and the second aspect that I think we ought to think carefully about is tax differentials. So I've mentioned before that tax is not the only reason, or I think I argue that tax is not the only reason why uh, these companies are going to offshore jurisdictions, but there are tax consequences to American companies that are incorporated um, in foreign nations. So when an automobile company in Detroit uh, incorporates in Delaware or Nevada or California or New York, that has very little tax consequences because that company still has to pay federal taxes. Uh, that company still has to pay state taxes wherever they really physically operate. But that's not true for uh, foreign incorporation. That same company, by incorporating it in the Cayman Islands, will actually reduce uh, for the most part, the federal uh, taxes. So to the extent that we think that tax is some uh, socially so beneficial um, sort of a policy, uh, we ought to think carefully about whether this is a socially desirable thing. So I sort of don't have a very strong normative take on it yet. But, um, I'm just hoping that this paper will be a jumping off point for myself and others to sort of examine this issue uh, much more carefully than we have given it attention so far. So let's go back and uh, what does the domain of uh, corporate law and mandatory rules look like in these uh, foreign incorporation uh, jurisdictions? Um, so the domain of corporate law um, in domestic or f- uh, foreign context is principally um, it's just a contractual relationship between uh, the firm's technical owners or shareholders um, and the people that actually run the corporation are directors um, and officers. Um, so uh, both in the United States and in um, foreign jurisdictions, um, for the most part, these are enabling rules, i.e. if shareholders and um, managers agreed, they could opt out of any of the given rules that they want to. Um, and that's to a large extent true in offshore jurisdictions as well. Um, It's just that there are certain rules that um, when you go offshore, when you incorporate in the Cayman Islands or the British Virgin Islands or Bermuda, for instance, you don't have to abide by some of the rules that would that you would otherwise not have a choice. So if a company is incorporated in Delaware um, and a shareholder has a proper reason to ask for the corporate books and records, the company can't just say, Never mind that we're not going to give you books and records. That's statutorily guaranteed in Delaware and all other states plus the District of Columbia. Um, but if a company is incorporated in the Cayman Islands, the company can just say, uh, under Cayman Islands law, we have no obligation to uh, reveal our books and records. Um, and so it's some. It's, 
the idea is that you don't have to abide by all the rules that you might have otherwise abide, have to abide by、um, in the United States without physically leaving、um, the United States.、Um, another big aspect of this is、uh, derivative litigation, which not everyone thinks this is a good thing or a bad thing. A lot of people think it just、uh, makes lawyers rich,、uh, but derivative suit is something that.、Um, uh, A grieved shareholder can、uh, bring an action against、um, for managerial misconduct, for instance. That's a right that almost every state um, guarantees. Um, derivative litigation is a huge business in Delaware.、Um, in the offshore jurisdictions that I study, these jurisdictions has, have made it so difficult to bring、um, derivative litigations. It's effectively, I think, prohibited.、Um, and companies that are incorporated in these jurisdictions that have to file their SEC reports. Say so. They say clearly, but because we're a company incorporated in the Caymans, you virtually have no right to bring、um, derivative、uh, suits against us.、Um, and. I am very open to people discussing whether this is a good thing or a bad thing, but we ought to recognize that this is actually happening. So, regarding litigation, what do these、uh, jurisdictions courts look like? I believe in your article you compared them. To、uh, arbitration agreements. Yeah, so that was the most fascinating aspect、uh, of this、uh, project. Well, one of the most fascinating、um, aspects of this research because、um, the conventional idea、um, behind why Delaware dominates is the Delaware Court of Chancery, and it's been so hard to replicate,、um, and that's sort of、um, made people think that. Delaware has built an insurmountable barrier for other states to compete. Nevada has tried, but it's not really a functioning, effective、uh, business court.、Um, so, about a decade ago,、um, the three jurisdictions that I study came in. Bermuda and the British Virgin Islands—they've universally launched、um, these specialized business courts that have、um, jurisdiction to resolve all of the company's law disputes, corporate law disputes. Um, what's fascinating about these courts is just like the Delaware Court of Chancery, they have、um, business law experts resolve disputes、uh, without juries.、Um, these courts oftentimes render、um, decisions very quickly.、Um, unlike there, the Delaware Court of Chancery, not all of these opinions are published. Not all of these opinions are as well reasoned. Some of these opinions are、um, sort of. Um, it's 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 not open to the public.、Um, so what I thought is a lot of this、um, dispute settlement mechanism is similar to functionally to、um, how we think of modern commercial arbitration. So when a company result、uh, agrees to resolve a dispute with another company in an arbitration forum, you can、um, get an arbitrator to basically rule on whatever you want,、um, and. Companies are said to prefer this because it's cost-effective. It keeps it out of the public,、um, and et cetera, et cetera.、Um, so I think the the offshore business courts, although it's fairly new, so we'll see how the court develops. But what it looks like to me now is it's sort of a hybrid of a Delaware-type specialized business court、um, and arbitration. So many of these judges, for instance, they're not、uh, permanent residents of Um, these jurisdictions in Delaware, you have to be a resident of、uh, Delaware to become a Delaware court, uh, Delaware uh, chancellor.、Um, in offshore jurisdictions, many of these judges actually fly in from London.、Uh, for instance, they're they're literally 
uh, partners at major law firms that come in to resolve disputes and fly back. So they're not permanent. Um, and this is kind of what happens in modern um, international commercial arbitration. So I thought there were some similar features um, to that. Um, but I think that you don't have to be, one thing that seems to me clear is that you don't have to be the Delaware Court of Chancery to attract corporate charters. It seems like companies might actually prefer this kind of a, a dispute settlement process rather than spend a lot of money opting into American discovery rules and litigation costs. So it might not be the only reason uh, or the, the Chancery Court might not be the precondition to other jurisdictions competing uh, for corporate charters. Uh, regarding litigation on the domestic side, what does it look like when these foreign incorporated corporations have suits brought against them in federal courts in the United States? Um, sure. So um, many, um, I was actually involved in one of these litigations. Um, so minority shareholders have, uh, in general, more rights uh, to bring suits in the United States under um, Delaware law or New York law um, than the laws of an offshore jurisdiction. So what they would try to do is, instead of going to the Caymans to bring a case, they would try to bring it in, uh, for instance, New York and say, Look, Judge, we're a New York-based company. All of our operations are here. Most of our shareholders are here. Officers and directors are all here. Why don't you let us bring the suit in New York and have New York law govern? Um, those suits almost always are dismissed. Um, some have been successful, but most of them have been have failed. Um, and that's because of a doctrine called the Internal Affairs Doctrine, uh, which is just a conflict of laws principle that says uh, the place of the corporate entities and corporation is what supplies the laws governing the internal affairs uh, of that corporation. And internal affairs is just um, exactly the shareholder uh, manager relationship. Um, so in many cases, judges will cite to decades of case law, mostly developed in the interstate context, um, saying that the place of incorporation governs what law ought to govern. So um, you are a BVI company, you you therefore must go to the BVI to resolve this dispute. This is a straightforward corporate law issue. Um, so essentially, some have had success, and this is the case um, mostly in the closely held business context, but um for the most part, because of the doctrine's stronghold, um, they do get dismissed if you try to bring a case in the United States. So you noted that Delaware derives somewhere between 10 and 20% of their revenues from uh, corporate charters. Uh, how does this affect legislation in Delaware? And another point, for these foreign incorporation jurisdictions, how does that affect legislation passed by uh, the British Virgin Islands, by Bermuda, by the Cayman Islands? Sure. So um, the legislative dependence on corporate charter uh, franchise taxes uh, makes them essentially very sensitive to private sector preferences. Um, in Delaware, what this means is that the Delaware Bar Association, uh, principally prominent Delaware lawyers, 
uh, corporate lawyers come together, um, draft legislative amendments, and hand it to the legislature who enacts it into law. Um, that's that, that process has been fairly well documented uh, by others, um, and uh, we see a similar phenomenon sort of happen uh, happening in um, these foreign jurisdictions. Uh, now, this is something this is fascinating because it's it's, it's a model that's hard to emulate um, in the United States. So, because of population sizes and different industries, it's not like a state like New York or Maryland or Pennsylvania will have this high of a dependence on franchise taxes. So it's hard to emulate this in the domestic context. Um, but I, what I've found, um, and this is through my gathering of just publicly available government documents, uh, reveals that um, some of these jurisdictions, um, British Virgin Islands in particular, they derive over half of their government revenue annually uh, from taxes related to corporate affairs. Now, that's fairly broad, so it does um, include, I suspect, uh, franchise taxes from um, non-publicly traded companies and investment funds, but it does show how important the source of revenue uh, from foreign corporations um, are to these lawmakers. Um, and anecdotally speaking, and there's a lot of secrecy behind these jurisdictions, so it's really hard to get to know um, the exact process, but uh, at least from the sources that I can gather, the lawmaking process works very similarly um, in offshore jurisdictions. And I think fewer number of lawyers control the process, but essentially uh, a prominent uh, lawyer or uh, law firm, these are law firms that are called colloquially um, offshore magic circle law firms, um, they would draft legislative amendments um, and they would essentially hand it to the lawmakers who formally enacted into law. So cynically speaking, this is a, uh, a straightforward case of legislative capture. Um, or if you're a race to the top proponent, thinking of corporate law as just pure standard form off the rack rules, you would think that this actually lowers the transactional costs of producing desirable templates of rules. Uh, but that's essentially uh, what the lawmaking process is like. And fascinatingly enough, these, uh, contrary to some of the prevailing assumptions, these jurisdictions don't have archaic corporate governance rules. They enact and update their corporate codes um, in response to private sector demand almost annually. So the Caymans, I believe they've enacted uh, amended the statute um, probably over 30 times. Bermuda has amended uh, the statute uh, at least 45 times since 1981. So this, these aren't archaic corporate governance rules that are um, governing um, in, the, in these jurisdictions. These are there are constant legislative updates, and most importantly, they reflect private sector demand. Can you expand a little bit on you know the purpose of what these um offshore law firms seem to be doing because it seems like they have both a legislative purpose and they also serve to uh, help companies incorporate. What is the relationship between uh, the private sector and these offshore law firms really look like? Yeah, so um, it's hard to know exactly, um, but from what I can gather, it's uh, a, it's actually fairly similar to Delaware. Um, so many people think that um, at least a big chunk of the uh, pie from the from Delaware's lucrative corporate law business goes to 
to Delaware transactional and litigation attorneys um, who um, derive, who generate business from drawing um, corporations from New York and California into Delaware. So if you're incorporated in Delaware, you have to go to the Chancery Court for a lot of your disputes. Their business is good for lawyers. Um, and that's just, uh, a thesis developed by um, John Macy um, and his co-author back in the 80s. And I, I sort of drew on that research um, for um, to understand who are the interest group actors behind um, the offshore corporate law havens. Um, and in, interestingly enough, it's uh, lawyers, I think, benefit tremendously. Um, these offshore magic circle law firms oftentimes uh, recruit lawyers, um, ex-big uh, law uh, lawyers from New York, uh, lawyers from London. So these are fairly prominent elite sort of lawyers that they're drawing. Um, and these lawyers actually move to offshore jurisdictions. Um, they get lured in by sort of nice weather, uh, low tax rates for their earnings. Um, and um, they provide real service for their clients, right? So um, in a related work, uh, Cayman Islands now has become the world's leading jurisdiction for hedge funds. So um, they do seem to provide a need for legal services. Um, and the fact that the legislatures are just dependent on uh, franchise tax revenues, that's just one crude metric. But I think the interest group analysis, the lawyers and the accountants who financially benefit from attracting these foreign corporations are sort of the link to how they draw clients how they draw uh, legal talent into these jurisdictions. And they, in turn, um, sort of some of them become lawmakers in these jurisdictions. And so there's a very much of a a public-private collaboration when it comes to corporate lawmaking process. So there's a little bit of a precedent here with these uh, offshore investment funds. Uh, How has that influenced the way that corporations see the uh, international jurisdictions to incorporate. Um, sure. So I think they're all related. So when you when a jurisdiction um, draws uh, closely held companies or investment funds, insurance companies, hedge funds, they sort of develop a brand and reputation uh, that it's a business friendly jurisdiction, and I think that essentially helps cross market um, to publicly traded companies that these are. Uh, business-friendly jurisdictions. Um, Another important sort of test that they've sort of endured is that these are legally stable regimes, right? So at any given moment currently, there's probably um, three dozen uh, tax havens that are um, essentially offering competitive corporate and capital gains tax rates of 0%. Uh, But we see that companies aren't just going to random jurisdictions in the Pacific Ocean. Um, They're going to very particular jurisdictions, and those are jurisdictions that have, uh, over the test of time, sort of proven their worth. So they've proven that they uh, have very stable legal regimes. They have uh, a stable uh, legal talent that can get the work done. Um, And now they've built these uh, judicial bodies that seem to be working. Um, So... Those are some of the um, yeah. Those are some of the interesting things that I've uh, I've observed. So there's a bit of a network effects that happen when uh, insurance companies and investment funds move in, and then uh, it later incentivizes uh, these 
publicly traded corporations to move in. Absolutely. And that's we see a similar phenomenon in Delaware. So Delaware is traditionally uh, a corporate law leader for publicly traded companies. Um, but as it turns out, they're also starting to attract a large uh, group of uh, non-publicly traded um, LLCs. Um, so it's now the leading jurisdictions for LLCs, um, especially if the company has a lot of um, lot of employees. Um, so that's uh, so there, that is a sort of a proven model that it's not just one part, uh, one segment of the market. I think um, the creation of the image and environment of business friendliness really helps a jurisdiction compete in a number of different ways. So let's step back for a minute. Why does this development matter? What? Why do all these developments in the corporate law in uh, the judicial systems of foreign foreign corporation areas. Why do all of these developments matter for the corporate law and for shareholders in general? Sure. Um, so I think um, one from an academic standpoint, I think it's just fascinating to descriptively uncover um, a what's actually going on. Um, and I don't think this went on in the 70s and the 80s when um, existing theories of interstate uh, corporate charter competition framework as a theory developed. Um, so I think this is a new phenomenon. So I think it's worth descriptively capturing what is going on. Um, I think why it matters, I think normatively people will come to vastly different conclusions and I'm very much open um, to that possibility and I think people ought to uh, discuss this more. Uh, but uh, I think why it might matter is if you're a sort of a race to the bottom theorist, if you think that there is a um, corporate law serves some sort of a social function, if you think that there's um, sort of externalities associated with it, um, this might raise some concerns because as we've discussed, these are um, essentially captured lawmakers that enact laws that um, essentially what private sector wants um so um this the normative aspect of this is you'll it'll very much depend on your conception of uh function of corporate law and how broad broadly it should go uh, but to the extent that you have concerns about um race to the bottom in corporate law that's something that one ought to be worried about um, another important aspect that i think can come out of this is um, are these mandatory rules in the united states are they just parochial concepts, localized, um, historical features like books and records requests, shareholder litigation. Are these things that are essential to our own corporate law? Um, or are these just features that have been lingering for because of some historical reasons? So to the extent that this international competition market, um, becomes robust, I think it'll question um, some of the central assumptions underlying American corporate law, how we conceptualize it, how it matters. Um, and I don't think we've seen a dramatic sort of, I'm not saying that the Cayman Islands is drawing as many corporations as Delaware, but I think it's something that we ought to look out for to see what will actually happen. Um, another theoretical angle that's fascinating to me is um, this could essentially demonstrate that there's uh, a phenomenon of market segmentation. So corporations might not just need um, Delaware corporate law. They might actually want a different templates, different off the rack rule that that might be preferable uh, for their purposes. Um, in a another jurisdiction, 
competing to supply uh, their needs. Might be socially optimal, might not be socially optimal, but it might actually happen. Um, so those are some of the central things that I think we ought to look at, um, at least from the descriptive side. We ought to take seriously what's actually happening um, and start thinking and, and updating our existing frameworks. As a final question, what should shareholders, lawyers, executives, and policymakers be taking away from the major points in your paper? Um, great. So um, one important aspect uh, that I sort of discovered as a practicing lawyer is that um, the law treats shareholders, especially institutional shareholders, corporate lawyers, um, as sophisticated parties. So whenever a sophisticated party enters into a contract, we assume that it was for their well-being. So um, all is good. If you are dissatisfied, you're just having buyer's remorse. So if you're trying to bring a derivative lawsuit in New York, too bad, judge will dismiss it. Um, but what I've realized in practice is that a lot of these actors are not that sophisticated. So if you're an investor investing in a um, Cayman Islands company, you should know that you might not have a right to bring derivative suits. You might not have a right to request books and records even for uh, quote unquote proper purposes. That's um, sort of the... Uh, doctrinal test in Delaware. So just by the company being incorporated in a foreign jurisdiction, you might have vastly different uh, rights. So that's something that you ought to um, think carefully about. Um, in terms of uh, policymakers, um, I think this is a phenomenon that we ought to watch out for, um, but I don't have very strong views on um, this phenomenon yet. I think we ought to take seriously the tax concerns because I think um, if you can tax arbitrage simply by incorporating a foreign jurisdiction uh, outside of whether this is good or bad for corporate governance reasons, I think um, so that's sort of the ground level. We ought to not let that happen. Um, but I think from a normative standpoint, just purely on corporate governance issues, I think it's uh, premature to um, talk about whether uh, we should allow this or not allow this. Um, my inkling, though, um, at least in terms of um, the internal affairs doctrine being applied um, to foreign nations, um, that to me seems like it's already it's already there. So judges have already done this. There's a vast precedent. Um, so it doesn't seem like we can turn back the clock there. Uh, so I think what we ought to sort of think about is this, there is an emerging international market. Many prominent companies like Herbalife, Michael Kors, Lazard Consulting, Tyco, Fruit of the Looms, these companies are actually incorporated not in the United States. They're incorporated in foreign nations. So we ought to start thinking about what that actually means um, for the corporate law literature and policymakers and, and practitioners. All right. Well, thank you, Professor Moon, for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I had a lot of fun. sales reports hum it has appeal and it's for real it satisfies a most particular yen and with a key line that's in color we're gonna bomb that market again <laughs>
really will do it. Align with action, satisfaction. National is gonna win him, my friend. With action, satisfaction, national is got a winner, my friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. National's got a winner. National's got a winner. National's got a winner. National's got a winner. Nah, nah. It's all right. Sort of. It's all right. National. 